few don't know me, my name's Sam, I'm one of the elders here in the church, and I just thought I'd quickly address something that just came up, and I just thought, well, why not have a quick chat about it? So both the young ladies up here before uh, mentioned that they were baptised as babies, and in fact, I think Sam asked for forgiveness for that fact, Uh, and I I know she was uh, having a bit of fun, but I thought, well, let's just very quickly chat about that. Uh, Can I say that when a parent has baptised their child as a baby, we don't believe that requires forgiveness because a parent is well-intentioned when they do that. But they're doing that because they honestly believe that this is what they should do, Uh, culture has taught them that, or their understanding of theology has taught them that. So that's okay, We're we're not anti that. The difference being that what we believe here is baptism is a response to your saving faith. So that's what we would argue. So Great Commission, Jesus said, go into all the world making disciples. How do we make disciples? Well, we share the gospel. They put their faith in Jesus, right? That's how you become a disciple. You're a follower of Jesus. It says, so making disciples, baptizing them. Okay, so the baptizing comes after the having been made as a disciple. So that's what we believe and that's what we teach. And that's why, despite these girls being baptized as babies, like I said, that's okay. But we would say, now you, in obedience to the Great Commission, to what Jesus has said, you need now, in response to your faith, in obedience, be baptized. Okay, so that's the position we hold, and that's, that's why they're up here getting baptised. So I thought I'd just clarify that. If you want any questions about that, if, if you're unsure of those distinctives, feel free to come and have a chat to me after the service. I'd love to talk to you about it uh, in a little bit more detail. All right. What a last few weeks it has been in Peter. Uh, it's been quite the journey as we've looked through this whole topic of submission. But I want to remind you, I want to wind back the clock a fair way about the fact that in 1 Peter 1 to 12, right at the start, the opening of his letter, it was all about grounding his disciples, Jesus' disciples, in the reality of the assurance and certainty of our faith. He wants to ground people not only in the intellectual truth of who Jesus is and what he achieved on the cross, but he wants you to own it deep in your heart and in your soul. Remember, the context of this letter of 1 Peter is he's writing to the persecuted church. These are Christians who are suffering because they're Christians. Right, a persecuted church, and he's writing this letter to them specifically. Remember, these were people as real as you and I. It's a real situation. These are people who are experiencing doubt, experiencing fear, wondering about whether or not they're doing the right thing, wondering if they should take an easier road. That's who Peter's writing to. And he's saying to those people, you need to know without doubt the assurance of salvation. You need to know that your hope is not in vain. You need to know in the midst of suffering and persecution that your eternal, undefiled home of joy when you see Christ face to face is waiting for you. That's his answer. You've got to own that deep in your soul. Why? 
So then we can kick back and everything's lovely and easy in this life. No, he's writing to persecuted people. He's saying, remember, as hard as it gets, what's waiting for you is better. As hard as it gets, what's waiting for you is better. Right? That's why Peter is grounding us in that reality of what it means to be a Christian. So flowing on from that, flowing on from that grounding in what Christ has done and the hope we have, he's then able to talk about some of the things that we have to accept, the roles that we've been given, citizen, slave, wife, husband. They're all anchored on, first, your hope in Christ, the reality of your relationship with him, right? So that's, that's where we've been. Then over the last two weeks... We've looked specifically that we have different roles to play, different ways of honouring God. Now, there is some stuff, of course, that is totally across all Christians, male or female, and there are some stuff that is role-specific. Now, Peter, this week, is going to close out this whole section by looking at the things which are for all Christians. So we've looked at the roles, now he's bringing it down into what all Christians should look like as we live in the world. Quick story. A friend of mine got his first pastoral position. It's quite a long time ago in a Baptist church. And after a little while in this position in the church, he realized that the church was completely and utterly divided and at war. 50% against 50%. Absolutely Horrible place to be as a first new young pastor. So as he began to explore and try and figure out what was going on, he realized it all boiled down to these two old women, these two patriarchs who hated one another, and the church had divided up behind them both and were basically at war. So he began to investigate to figure out What was it that was driving these two old ladies to this depth of passionate disruption and disunity in the church? Well, it turns out that 20 years earlier, the church needed to buy new crockery for the kitchen. And one of them went out and bought it without consulting the other one. And hence, the war. This is a true story, right? Our church divided and at war over crockery. So my friend who is a young pastor and who says he may not have handled this later on in his ministry quite the same way, he called a meeting with both of these old ladies in the kitchen and he opened the cupboard and he grabbed a plate and went, smash. We will not smash. Divide, smash. Over, smash. Stupid, and broke the whole set of crockery, right, to make a point. You see, not only does fixing our gaze and our eyes on the redemption that we have in Christ give us hope, but it also means we can put aside the things that might otherwise divide. As we grasp the grandeur of what lies ahead, we don't need to worry about small things that might divide. 
Blunt, what is crockery in the face of eternity? Right? Like, this is what it's meant to do in our heart. Or what is my favourite music style? Or what is that someone didn't speak to me? Or whatever it might be, what is that in the face of our eternal undefiled home? And that's what Peter wants us to wrestle with this morning. So if you have your Bible, you can open up to 1 Peter 3 and we'll look at verses 8 to 12. 1 Peter 3, 8 to 12. All right. Finally, all of you be like-minded and sympathetic. Love one another and be compassionate and humble. Not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing, since you were called for this, so that you may inherit a blessing. For the one who wants to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit, and let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. Amen. All right, our passage begins, finally. In other words, to close off the section of submission that Peter has been working through, finally. Some of your translations might say to sum up, right? So he's just giving us the final words on this whole section before he moves on to the next bit of our, our journey through Peter. So finally, to sum up, and he begins by listing five attitudes that will help us live the way Christ wants every Christian to live. Male or female, old or young, in authority, you know, whatever it might be, five attitudes all Christians are to have. Firstly, be like-minded your translation probably says, or more directly translated, it says, be harmonious. Now, the word harmonious comes from music, right? Music is a series of notes that put together make a pleasing sound. It doesn't matter if it's classical music, techno music, or the absolute best country music, whatever it might be, however it's put together, it's to make a beautiful sound. And music follows rules. It follows patterns in order to achieve that, okay? So we have to be in key, etc., to achieve harmony. If I got Steve back up here right now and I got him on one of the strings on the guitar to detune it heavily and then to play it normally, the music won't sound right. He can play all the notes. He can play the piece as presented. But that one string out of tune will stop the harmony of the music. True? One string out of tune, no matter how well it's put together, will stop the harmony of the whole piece. Finally, says Peter, all of you are to be harmonious. So we are to form a big choir as a church and everyone's got to sing in harp? No. You are God's choir as the church. You are singing his praises as the church. 
You are, as his people, his light in this darkened world. And, says Peter, says God, you are to live together in key. You are to dwell together in harmony as you live for his glory and praise. Because it only takes one string to be out of tune and the whole piece suffers. This is Peter's point. This is God's point. Our sin impacts the whole body. Your sin, my sin, impacts the whole body of Christ. If I'm stuck in sin in my life and I can't serve the church in the way God has called me to, then my sin is impacting the body of Christ. If my marriage is deeply struggling... That actually impacts the body of Christ as my unhappiness, my lack of unity, my lack of purpose impacts the body of Christ. I impact the body of Christ when my negative attitude or rebellious spirit impacts and infects others, so on and so forth. Now, please hear this. I'm not trying to condemn anyone. We all have struggles, we all have sin, we all have difficulties, but it's important to remember that as part of a body, our struggles impact that body, right? As part of a body, our struggles bring disharmony to the body. Now, this is not to condemn. We are saved by grace. But it's meant to tell us, it's meant to prompt us that we shouldn't be comfortable with our sin. We shouldn't tolerate sin. We shouldn't be at peace with our sin. Oh, look, it's fine. I don't really care anymore. Well, actually, no. It impacts the body. And this reminds us that to be in harmony with the body, we need to be serious about fighting the sin in our life. Harmony is achieved when everyone's in tune. And that's God's call on us in the body. Right? So not to condemn. Not to throw a bigger hurdle in front of you. But be serious about tackling the sin that's in your life. Now together with that, taking our sin seriously, we are told to be sympathetic and compassionate. We are to love and care for those who are struggling with sin, with the problems of life, whatever that might be. We are to be compassionate and sympathetic. And again, don't you love the balance of Scripture here? One hand, take your struggles and your sins seriously and recognize that they impact the body of Christ. On the other hand, body of Christ, show compassion and sympathy to those who are struggling. Amen? This is the reality of the body. So take seriously your impact on the body. Body, be compassionate and sympathetic for the one who's struggling. All right? This is the Word of God. This is how we love for and care for one another. And Peter summarizes it absolutely beautifully, doesn't he? How does all that come together, really? And he says, by what I just said, loving one another. 
in short, the best way to look at that is the famous passage of 1 Corinthians 13, right? Now, 1 Corinthians 13 often gets used at weddings, and that's fine, that's okay. But its context is not marriage, its context is the church. Its context is not husbands and wives, its context is you and everyone else in the church. It's our relationship as we dwell together as the body of Christ. So 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7 says this. Remember, this, it's okay to use at weddings, but remember, it's about the church. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It is not boastful. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not irritable. It does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and that is written about the church. How we relate to one another, right? Isn't that amazing? This is how do we love one another. We are patient in the church. We are kind in the church. We are not irritable in the church. We keep no record of wrongs in the church. We find no, no joy and unrighteousness in the church. This is the reality of each of our lives as it's anchored on the hope we have in Christ. This is who we are called to be. All of us, as we dwell together, in unity. We do have different roles, husbands, wives, elders, deacons, etc. But the love of Christ is for all, not for some. Now, you might be saying, that's not my experience of church. And I would say to you, love keeps no record of wrongs, as we just read in our passage. Right, seriously, we've got to move on. We've got to let go and we need to become that loving force, don't we? Isn't that what it's saying? So let go and be patient. Don't be irritable. Keep no record of wrongs. Love one another. Okay, this is what it's telling you and I to do and who to be. We love and we expect nothing in return because we have the reason for our love already, don't we? We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. The reason, the motivation, the continuation of your love is that Christ loves you. And that's what we bring to the church. That's how we are to care and love in the church. The final two of the list Peter has given us are compassion and humility. Now, compassion obviously is very similar to the earlier sympathy, which you can put the two together. This is actually what's called a chiastic, chiastic structure, which I won't bother going into too much detail, but he goes a point, a point, a middle point, and then he repeats the previous two points, so you end up with this like structure of, of getting his point across. So it's a simple term of how they structure things, but... The point being, right, that he's given us this lift, and so he's repeating similar terms. Compassion and sympathy go together. And humility, of course, which he lists there at the end, is an absolute core of unity, isn't it? 
Pride and putting yourself ahead of others will always bring disharmony. Pride is the clanging note that slowly captures everyone's attention and draws their focus instead of Christ. Right? Pride will always draw everyone's attention as it evidences itself in self-serving or condemning others or false humility, whatever it might be. Pride will always be the clanging note of discord that draws everyone's attention. So these are the things that we Christians, all of us, are called to, to be like-minded, sympathetic, loving, compassionate, and humble. They are the decision you make again and again and again out of the overflow of being born again, of being made into the image of Christ. Right? These are the call we are to live out together in the church. Now, many commentators, and I agree with those ones, believe that verse 8 is aimed at Christians, about those within the church, and verse 9 is aimed at the Christian relationship to non-Christians. So I think Peter shifts thought here because it fits the context really, really well. Uh, He's just talking about how Christians are to treat one another, and now he moves on, I think, to talking about relationship with non-Christians in verse 9. So he says, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult. That's a tough one, isn't it? Particularly in Australia, because insult for insult is how we show love, right? Uh, you know, I care about the people I insult the most, right? That's, that's kind of Australian culture. So, so insult for insult or evil for evil. But we know what this means, doesn't it? There is a line that we don't cross. We understand what evil for evil and insult for insult means. In short, it means this. We don't fight like the world fights. We don't resort to deceit, to slander, to harm. We don't do those things. Why don't we do those things? Because we have our eternal home, our eternal hope, and we just don't need to. They're not that important. This is the outworking of our hope in Christ. If if you believe this world is all there is, if you believe this world is all life has to offer, then you better fight for it with all you've got because it's it. If, however, you believe this world isn't much, then why bother fighting about it? My little illustration is people may well fight for the last of a 12-hour slow-cooked rack of ribs in a tangy barbecue sauce. They won't fight over the last bit of a can of Spam. True? Right? This is just how it is. You you might fight over the slow-cooked ribs. You don't fight over the Spam. There's a line you never thought you'd be hearing in church. But anyway... This is what Peter is telling you. If you realize the world and what it offers is spam, you're not interested in fighting dirty for it. Because you've got your hope set on Christ. So why would you? Why would you resort to the evil and dirty tactics of the world? 
over something that you know is passing as you head towards your eternal undefiled home. This is the difference that hope in Christ makes. Do we need to lie? Do we need to cheat when our treasure is Christ and not the world? Further than that, Peter says, you don't repay evil for evil or insult for insult, but in fact, you give a blessing when you are treated with evil or insult. What does that mean? It means that a Christian will ask God to show his favour and grace to those who have harmed us. A Christian will ask God to show his favour and grace to those who have harmed us. In other words, I really want us to think about this. Really zero in. Sleep the rest of the message. Pay attention right now. This is the bit that you need to hear, right? Our primary goal... Your primary goal as a follower of Christ is to share the good news with people. Full stop, that is your primary goal. That is the great commission. That is the reason you are here and haven't been taken to be with Jesus right now. It is to share the good news with people by telling them the gospel. And Peter is saying this, be careful what you would let jeopardize your message of hope and reconciliation. Be careful what behaviors you would let disrupt your ability to present the message of the good news. Be careful what would ruin your ability to share the gospel. You are called to be a missionary. Every single Christian is called to be a missionary. We tend to have in our head that overseas missions is big, but the reality is all of you are intergalactic missionaries, for want of a better term, or interreality, interstellar. I don't know. Anyway, um, The point is, you don't belong here. You are aliens and strangers on this planet. Your true home is heaven, and you are here as an ambassador of heaven to proclaim the good news to this world. You're not an overseas missionary. You're an interdimensional. I don't know. Anyway, come up with whatever nerd term you like, but that's the reality, right? Your true home is heaven. You are only here because you're a missionary to proclaim the good news. Don't let easily something ruin your ability to share the good news when that's your role. John 15:19 says this, John 15:19. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. You're not of the world says Jesus. I've taken you out of the world. The only reason you're still here in the world, as I said, is to be a missionary. Peter says, you will inherit a blessing when you don't fight evil for evil or insult for insult, but you put aside those things in order for an opportunity to share the good news. Now, Peter is not saying, by the way, that we are saved by works. By doing this, we will receive a blessing. 
No, we are saved by grace and grace alone. What Peter is saying is that this behavior of ignoring insults and praying for those who harm you, this behavior is necessary behavior for those who are truly born again. Right? This is the outworking, this is the fruit of being born again. That you would confer a blessing to those who have harmed you. So this genuine desire that the true Christian has to share the love of Christ with others and to not let other things hinder that message is so important to who we are. Now, quick aside. Does this mean I can't pursue legal recourse if a non-Christian harms or steals from me, etc.? No, that's not what it's saying. This is referring to our attitude that we won't act like the world does in evil, in spite, or in a desire to harm. We may seek recourse, but it is only to pursue what is fair and reasonable, and our hope remains the same, that the one who harmed us would repent and trust God. Right? So we may pursue recourse, but only for what is fair and reasonable, not to harm. Does that make sense? Right? This is what God is saying. It's about our attitude that we won't act as the world does, but we would act in a Christ-like way to as much as possible preserve our witness, as much as possible preserve our opportunity to share the good news. Peter then finishes this section, which is going to finish this whole section, by directly, well, almost directly quoting from Psalm 34, 12 to 16. So this is all a big reference from Psalm 34. In Psalm 34, we are reminded that the Lord rescues his own when they suffer, and he will judge the wicked. So he will rescue his own who are suffering, and God ultimately will judge the wicked. Meanwhile, in that in-between period of time, this is what Psalm 34 is about, the righteous should display their trust and hope in the Lord by renouncing evil and pursuing what is good. It's not too hard to see why Peter has referenced Psalm 34, is it? Considering the context of our letter, right? You, will, you are suffering for doing what's right, Know that one day God will judge those who cause harm. In the interim, live a good life. The context of Psalm 34 that Peter is applying to his readers. The psalmist and Peter say, display your trust and hope in God by living a good and upright life. One commentator summarizes these verses from Peter like this. Verse 9, in summary. You were called to bless so that you will inherit the blessing of eternal life. Verses 10 to 11. For anyone who wishes to experience the life of the age to come must shun evil speech and do good in order to receive that blessing. Verse 12. For the Lord's favor is on the righteous, but he will judge the wicked. Right? Suffering persecution, suffering unjustly, You are to live good and upright lives, trusting God, 
that he will repay, that he will judge. Let me pick up on verse 12. Let me pick up on verse 12. So, Jerome, you want to bring up 1 Peter 3.12? Last week we saw this, if you remember, that if a husband uses his physical strength against his wife or he does not treat her with honour, that God will not hear his prayers. Right, that's what we looked at last week. That God won't listen to the prayers of a husband who doesn't treat his wife with honour, who treats her poorly with his physical strength. In Psalm 34, we hear, because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. In other words, his ears are not open to those who aren't acting rightly. The reality is that for wives... They should be honouring the command of the Lord in the role he has given them or he may well not listen to their prayers. In the same way, husbands, honour the role God has given you or he may not listen to your prayers. Or, church, live in unity, in love, in patience, in forgiveness, in grace, care for one another or God may not listen to our prayers. Right? Live good upright, righteous lives, loving one another, and God will respond. Now, don't ever go down the path of believing that if something goes wrong in someone's life, they must be sinning, right? The Scriptures deal with that. The reality is that sickness, environmental catastrophes, economic collapse are all part and parcel of a world that is under the curse of sin. However, if we continue to live a life of disregard of God's commands, if we continue to live a life of ignoring what God has said, if we refuse to confront and challenge our sin, then God is saying, I may well not listen to you. I may well not answer your prayers until you repent, until you take living a good and upright life seriously. Church, we are not saved by good works. We are saved to good works. We are not saved by good living. We are saved to good living. We are not saved by being at peace with man. We are saved to be at peace with man. We are not saved by being humble. We are saved to being humble. We are not saved by being submissive to authority. We are saved to be submissive to authority. The reality of grace is that salvation is given freely to those who put their trust in Christ, but then you are being transformed and made into his likeness, and you should begin to reflect that in your life, how you treat one another in the church, and how we don't play the world's games in the world. You get the point. Let your love, thankfulness, gratitude, and hope in Christ lead you to embrace the role he has given you. And as much as you are able, bless others with the hope of them becoming an heir of life. Don't chase evil. Don't chase insult if it inhibits the ability for you
to share the good news of Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, this, this end of the section of Peter. And yes, we have different roles to play. But ultimately, Lord, these are the things that are true of every Christian. Lord, may our hope in Christ, may the, our, the fact we are centered on the glory that awaits when we behold Jesus face to face, Lord, may that give us the strength to live good, upright, honourable lives in the world where we don't trade insult for insult or evil for evil. Lord, may we rather be insulted if it means we have the opportunity to speak the truth, share the good news of Jesus. Lord, we just pray you keep us fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. May he give us the strength to honour him in this life. We pray that in your precious name. Amen.